Good morning, Ray. Good morning, John. <laughs> I caught you mid-sip there of your Diet Pepsi. No, it was halfway to my mouth. Oh, well, uh, good morning. Good morning. Do we need to take a, you gonna take a break now? Time, time <laughs> yeah. for a quick break. Right. We'll... Okay. <laughs> and we'll be right back. Right. And how are you today? I'm doing great, man. How are you? Fantastic, buddy. I want to thank you for joining me here today. I thank you for joining me here today. <laughs> I'm checking out our Google Analytics. How are the analytics on Google? Good. We have some listeners in Chattanooga, Fort Lauderdale, Vancouver, New York, uh, Nashville, and a couple of listeners in Ho Chi Minh City. Hey. How about that? Yeah, that's, that's the city that that trail was named after. Ho Chi Minh Trail? Yeah. All right. I mean, the, the city was named after the trail. I've you, heard of the trail, haven't you? You speak Mandarin. You want to say something to our Chinese listeners? Do you think that they speak Mandarin in Vietnam? I thought you said in China. No, Ho Chi Minh City. Oh, right. That's Vietnam. <laughs> it is Vietnam. Do you speak Vietnamese? I do not. Although okay. I have had some pho before. Have you oh. ever had pho? Pho. Yes, I have. There's a nice Vietnamese restaurant in... Where did Bart... Uh, Bart Star. Where did, where did Brett Favre go to school? Southern Mississippi? Yeah. Okay, whatever town that college is in yeah there's a good vietnamese restaurant yeah i used to go coach at a dealership there and uh, right across the street from the dealer just in this little you know inconspicuous little building is like the best vietnamese in the world uh yeah, and i had some foe there it always makes me think there's a, a local radio guy yeah named wally yeah uh, on the talk radio station yeah. here in chattanooga i remember wally and he always used to say vietnamese <laughs> Well, he was kind of a country guy. He was a very country guy. <laughs> yes. And Big unfortunately uh, passed, but uh, very entertaining, super guy, and yeah. we miss him a lot. Well, uh, rest in peace, Big Wally. Yep. So, um, yeah, Vietnamese, uh, Ho Chi Minh City, a lot of listeners. Our listenership increased this week tremendously. Yeah. Um, it's I mean, catching it's, on. Yeah, Wildfire like moving through the country. In one week. Yeah. It's uh, what they call an overnight success. You know, after you work hard for 20 years, you become an overnight success. The proverbial hockey stick growth. There you go. All right, so I'm excited about that. Yeah. And I think we ought to tone that down a bit by letting you pick the topic for today. Um, I want to talk about... Uh, why, why does that make you laugh? <laughs> you didn't even get the, the slam there. No. I so mean, it's very exciting. Let's tone it down a little bit and let oh, you pick the topic. Oh, the tone down. Ha, ha, ha. Boy, that was a good one. How could I have missed that? Yeah, it was a pretty Slam. good one. Slipped right by you. Slam. Snuck it in under the... Uh, you did. You got me. the guard there. You got me. Nice. All right, so now... In all seriousness, Ray. Oh, good. I'm sure you're exciting. Your, your topic is very exciting. I'm sure it is. Share it with us. Uh, well, I've been listening to a uh, a book uh, called The Science of Selling. The Science of Selling. I think there's a lot of science in selling. Well, it's applying science, like proven scientific research applications to the sales process. Yeah, like the way that people's brains work. Correct. Heuristics. 
Yes, heuristics. <laughs> I told you about heuristics before we started. Yeah, you did. I, I, uh, I'm using my, my uh, memory there. <laughs> yeah, I'm using my uh, what's that thing? Uh, that uh, the thing that makes you uh, memory. Yeah. Yeah, 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 my memory, my sharp right. memory. So we're going to talk about heuristics. You think there's ever been a Hurricane Ray? Yeah. Has there? Yeah. Do you know when it was? I uh, know. Oh, you ought to use your memory. <laughs> I don't think there's ever been a Hurricane John. I'm using my assumptive capabilities. Are you deducing that? I am. Okay. That is the course of deduction and reason. You know, there are two types of people in the world, Ray. Those who can deduce. <laughs> Excuse me? Those who can deduce facts from partial information. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and those who can. That's a good one, isn't it, right? I, I, use my, uh, I am one of the first, obviously. <laughs> because I was able to... <laughs> Deduce the the second uh, statement before funny. you said it. All right. So, uh, Ray, what are we talking about today? So funny you should say that because that would be cognitive ability, deduction. Okay. And heuristics are mental shortcuts that ease cognitive load on decision making. Say that definition again. It's shortcuts that ease the cognitive load of making a decision. It's the way the brain works, right? Yeah. I mean, we're constantly making connections between experiences or, or you know, in, in problem solving uh, and looking for ways, the brain's looking for ways to make sense of the problem. And uh, there are a lot of common biases or flaws in heuristics that, uh, according to David Hoffield, we can use in sales ah, to promote sales. Okay. Well, right. it's kind of like uh, Dwight saying, you know, you were saying the other day that Michael... Uh, in Dw the office. Dw yeah, in the office, Michael or uh, Dwight says, uh, Michael always tells me not to be an idiot. Right. So whenever I'm about to do something, I think, would an idiot do this? And, and then, if he would, then I don't. I don't do it, yeah. Same kind of deal. I think the, the other one is uh, where Dwight... Uh, Jim in the office says something to Dwight, and Dwight says, I don't believe you. Please continue. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that scene. Oh, yeah. We'll have to watch it during the break, maybe. In the break. <laughs> right. Because we right. always take a break. So, so he's saying that there are ways to uh, kind of, I mean, I hate to use the word capitalize on that, but. Well, I uh, think that's fair. Okay. Right. It's I mean, it almost sounds underhanded, but. No, it's 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 allowing the way people buy to influence the way you sell. Amen. Okay. I think too often, and he goes into it in more detail. But, but how do we commonly learn how to sell? Well, it's trial and error. Yeah, which is a very long term kind of option, right? I mean, we got to try a lot of stuff before we determine which ones work and don't, or. We learn from quote-unquote experts or people who are more experienced who have more often than not learned from faulty trial and error. Yeah. So Coaching. Um, yeah. Teaching. And, and very little of, uh, of salesmanship is taught or learned by taking the science of the way people think and problem solve and make decisions, especially 
buying decisions, looking at it from a scientific standpoint. Yeah, yeah, I think it's 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 a field that is uh, we've only scratched the surface of in the automotive industry. Yeah, but I I think it's the the scratching of the surface is not. You know, because he references studies from back to the 50s. Yeah. It's not that the information hasn't been available. It's the application of the information to our commonly held beliefs as to the best way to sell. I mean, one of the things he goes into is who is the best salesperson, right? From a just a purely introvert, extrovert standpoint. Okay. Who do you think? Yeah, I think it's traditionally been the extrovert, the guy that'll put himself out there, walk up to a customer and say, hey, how are you doing? Right. And what they found in studying it is, yes, extroverts are more more successful salespeople than introverts. But when you rate them on a scale, right, the, the more extreme extroversion their success moves down. So the absolute best salespeople are what they call ambiverts, which are neither extreme extrovert nor extreme introvert. They're right in the middle. Those are the people. Do you think that means that they can adjust on the fly to the situation or they are naturally neither or a little bit of both? Yeah, uh, well, I, so I, I, I look at it more from a... Uh, application standpoint, right? So an extreme extrovert is probably a better talker than they are a listener. Right. Right? If you're extremely extroverted, you're doing all of the talking and carrying the conversation and providing information and you're, you know, kind of that go, go, go mentality. Um, The extreme introvert is only on that other extreme of the scale where they're listening and they're not really sharing a whole lot and you know they're formulating opinions in their head right you know and just you know maybe giving little snippets of information in between allowing the customer to like we've talked about many times take control Mm -hmm. right and the extrovert is dominating control right and the ambivert is somebody who has equal parts Listening and taking in and reformulating and sharing and providing information. Okay, I'd buy that. Yeah, but typically we see a guy who we sit down with to talk about hiring and, you know, he's dominating the conversation and, man, I can't wait and here's what I'm going to do and this is what I think and this is, you know, what I see as my benefit to the company and blah, blah, blah. We go, God, that, this guy's a salesman. Well, I think that goes back to the typical onboarding in a dealership. You know, a lot of times, the old cliche, cliches become cliche because they're true. Right. Right? So, you know, here's here's your desk, here's the lot, bring me a deal. Right. Is how a lot of us came up in the car business. Right. And if you weren't extroverted and didn't get out there and chase a win, well, the wins weren't just going to fall in your lap. They're not going to come to you. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's why typically those people rise... Uh, you know, in the business is because they're willing to take risk and get out there and try. They're not afraid to fail, in other words. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, and another thing that David points out in the science of selling is that, you know, there are two types of people, and I know that you've alluded to this, not in this direct forum or format, but that there are those people who see the Sales ability as something that can be learned and you can grow in and it can be taught. 
And there are those who think it's innate and either you have it or you don't. Mm -hmm. And those who believe that it's something that can be taught, right? That you can learn, that you can always become better and seeking out information as to how can I be better. Mm -hmm. Those people are much, much more successful from a researched standpoint than those who believe that it's innate and either you have it or you don't. And I was born a salesperson. And if you weren't, then don't bother. Um, Because they're easily discouraged. Because if they run into a time where they're not Ah. being successful and they don't have that innate belief system that that says... they can learn it? Yeah, that it can be taught and learned and I can improve from this. (laughs) Then they automatically think, well, if I don't know already, Uh, I can't ever learn it. Right. So those that have that natural mentality going in, they take away from a a failure or a loss that, okay, there's something to learn here, right? How can I improve to get... Well, I think we've dealt with that with managers, you know, teaching them software or how to use a software tool, you know, and they, I've run across several that just say, oh, I don't use that. Right. Okay. Well, you know, how come, you know, it'll do this valuable uh, plethora of things for you. Yeah. But I don't know how to use it. I just, you know, so yeah. I don't, you know, I just don't. I'm use not that. wired that way. Right. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, that's where other people do. I know what I'm good at. Right. That's what I do. And, you know, uh, just tell me what I need to know and let me go. Uh, don't make me. I mean, what do you say to that keys. other than, okay. I mean, hey, yeah. oh, all right. Yeah. All right. What can you say? I mean, in. And there are certainly those people who maintain their job even with that mindset because the things that they're good at, they're extremely good at. So we do allow for for those people to to continue to just provide that one silo of of activity. Then we decide what that silo of activity is worth, and that's what we pay. And that's where we put them, and that's what they do. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, very interesting. Highly recommend uh, the book. But just uh, one of the things that really struck me was that heuristics uh, application to enhance sales. So, let me, let me give you an example. There's a, a something called single option aversion, which falls under heuristics. You know what single option aversion is? Well, I'm sure it's something about you'd rather have choices than yeah. choose this thing or no thing. Right. So, it, it's... It's a more difficult cognitive ability, uh, activity for people when they are choosing yes or no on one item. So if you can bring a second, let's you know, of course we're talking about the car business. Right. So if I come in and I look at one car and only one car, and I'm deciding, do I want that car? Right. The brain kind of has a bit of a meltdown on that's a dip, much more difficult cognitive process or decision to make, if I'm just looking at one, then if I have something to compare it to, I am, again, research has proven, I'm far more likely to buy if I can say, okay, between these two, I like this one better. Right. Right? So, okay. and and to use that in our sales technique, make sure we're always showing a second option. Well, we do that in menu selling it all the time in multiple industries. Right. I mean, in almost every form of selling, it's, I was talking to a lady the other day who owns a software company for service. And part of what they provide is menu selling for service procedures. You right. know, We can completely put in a brand new tr- transmission for you, right. or we can rebuild this one, or we can fix this one area, but probably you're going to have trouble with your transmission yeah. again eventually. This is a Band-Aid, not a fix. Right, right. Yeah. Well, another thing I've heard about that is 
you always wanted to give people multiple prices and it was so hard to get the management on board, you know, in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, because, you know, they thought, I'm not going to put bullets in their gun. I'm not going to give them all the information and let them leave. Right. Because they were afraid they would compare my vehicle and my trade value to another dealership's vehicle and another dealership's trade value. Right. Well, if you give them three options while they're at your store, yeah, they're more likely to pick one of those three. Pick one of the three, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I love that close to say which one works best for you, right? Mm-hmm. Now I'm choosing, right? You formulated the question in a way where I naturally, cognitively am thinking, well, which one of these options is going to work best for me? And next thing you know, they choose one. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> right. Let's go ahead and put that in detail for you. So any other cool concepts you've learned from the science of selling books? Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, there's uh, asymmetric dominance effect. Ooh, that, Asymm- sounds, that sounds very technical. So asymmetric dominance effect is if they are looking at two options. So I would say, you know, let's say they're looking at a truck or a car, mm-hmm. right, that are very different. Right. They They're can still run into a cognitive difficulty, mm-hmm. but if you say, well, you know, let's say here, here's a car for, you know, $28,000, here's a truck for $32,000, by entering in a third option that is less attractive than one of the other two options, so let's say I they're struggling between car and truck, car and truck, car and truck, and then I come in and say, and I come in and say, well, here's a pre-owned one with a lot of miles on it, with most of the same features. They can easily rule that one out, and they are far more likely to pick the truck that was the better deal between those two oh. than they are to go to the car. Okay. Right. I mean, you've narrowed it down in their cognition as they're struggling. It's the apples and oranges kind of thing, right? If you're hungry and you have no real leaning toward apples or oranges, right? I mean, you, you really don't, not sitting down going, yeah, I'm in the mood for one of the other. If, if you present a less attractive apple as mm-hmm. a third option, they're far, far more likely to choose the more attractive apple. So you're kind of forcing a decision between apples and oranges by introducing a third one of the two. Right. Something similar to the apple or the orange. Right, something that they can compare, that their brain can easily make that decision. And now, no, I don't like, you know, between those two, gosh, I don't like that one. I like this one. Well, now their brain is thinking, okay, so this is the best decision. Yeah, I think we've used that before. I mean, I didn't know there was a name for it, but we've talked about this before, how... uh, you know, we get on a, a new vehicle or something like that, and then we say, well, you know, keep in mind I have this used one. Right. You know, as we're walking back in before we're even in the write-up. Oh, yeah. You know, we're walking back in the office and say, hey, you know, before we even look at numbers on this new one, just keep in mind I do have a used one as well. Right. It's. I mean, it's different, it, it, it's, but it's it, kind it, of No, the same. it's along those lines, but yeah. I would suggest that, God, rather than just suggest the other one, mm-hmm. say, you know what, let's... Follow me. <laughs> let's let's go look at this used one I have, too. Well, in my hypothetical, we looked at it on the way out. Oh. In your hypothetical, you're looking at it on the way in. Well, in my hypothetical, I'm saying, rather than it just being a point of reference, it should be something that we've at least looked at, opened up, started. Maybe we didn't take a test drive on it, right? 
but at least there's something to give them a real option that now it's going to be an easier decision for me. Right. And what we're doing there is, you know, no one's ever said to a write-up sheet, wow, those payments look really low. You right. know, every time you know you're going to get, well, that price is higher, those payments are too high, or that down payment's too high. Yeah. Well, it gives us an easy way to say, hey, no problem, let's go look at that used one again. Oh, yeah. Well, no, I don't want to, I want a new one. And why do you want a new one? Because it's got a warranty and it's never right, been yeah, written in. Oh, well, you see the value in that. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> Let me get it cleaned up for you. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the, I think these are really interesting concepts that a lot of times we gloss over or stumble upon rather than employing them as our regular process in our sailing. Mm-hmm. Well, what uh, what's the name of the book again? It's uh, The Science of Selling. By Michael something? David, yep. <laughs> Hoffeld. Hoffeld. Yep. Hoffenfeller. No, Hoffeld. that's not it, but, you know. H-O-F-F-E-L-D. Yeah, not, not even close, but H-O-F-F-E-L-D, yes, Hoffeld. David Hoffeld. <laughs> that's how I'd say it. Oh, good. Well, I hope that you never meet him. I wonder if he gets confused with David Hasselhoff a lot. <laughs> I wonder if you get confused a lot. Speaking of David Hasselhoff, I see you have your Knight Rider t-shirt on today. I'm not wearing a t-shirt. I'm actually wearing a blue button down. What's Thank you it? for noticing. What's a it? white t-shirt. With David I'm not Rider. With Knight Rider on it. <laughs> I can, it kind of bleeds through your, your button down. I can see the big picture of David Hasselhoff and the Knight Rider across the top of it. Okay. <laughs> Well, Ray, and this uh, is why people listen. <laughs> really, Ray? Why don't we make this an abbreviated episode? You want to? Uh, too late. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're twenty-five minutes. Wonderful. So we're between abbreviated and long. So it's the perfect time to uh, call it a, call it done. I, I got more. You got more stuff. Yeah. All right, keep continue. This is one that you know makes me think how difficult selling must have been for you because it's the likability bias. <laughs> Please continue. That we are far more likely to buy from somebody that that we that we like. I don't I don't believe that. I know you don't because you're living proof. <laughs> the people don't have to like you. But the research would say <laughs> Yeah. That yes, that there is a likability bias, hmm. and um, the, the one of the examples he gives is let's say we're talking about your thoughts on some lady, some woman, a girl out there, and yeah, is she attractive? You, is, do, just, have I been you know, on a few dates with her? No, you haven't been on any <laughs> dates with her. You just know her, and then someone tells you, "Gosh, she really likes you," oh. and. Because, all the time. because of that, you are going to think more favorably of her after you find out that she she mentioned you know, she thought you were very funny and this and that. When you hear that that person likes you, you start to see them in a more favorable light. It doesn't have to be in a romantic well, way. That doesn't have anything to do with you liking them. That has to do with them liking you. Right, I've but, liked all of my customers. No. when when if, So if you present that... Man, I really like you uh-huh. to your customer. Yeah. They are more likely to increase their likability of you when they hear that you like them. 
You follow that? Yeah, but I, I think those are two separate things. I think, yeah, I think people would more likely buy from people that liked them, but I don't think they necessarily have to like who they are buying from. But, but, just but I the, also, as a third point, believe that they are more likely to like the person who likes them first. Right. <laughs> so I agree with your logic up until... I don't maybe it's No, you just completed the whole thing. What do you mean up until? You, you followed a train of thought that led to exactly what I started with. Well, I think it's... You, you said it's not about them liking you. It's, it's about you liking them. But I agree that if you like them, then they're more likely to like you. And I agree that by them liking you, they're more likely to buy. <laughs> but I don't agree with your premise. All right, imagine this equation, Ray. A plus B equals X. Okay. You follow me so far? Yeah, so far, so good. All right, yeah. A is 3. B is 0. What is X? 3. Right. 3 plus 0 equals 3. A plus B equals X. Okay. I'm saying that one of those principles is, makes logical sense. Okay. Another of those principles makes logical sense. Okay. And the third one is irrelevant, but... Which one's irrelevant? <laughs> that people don't have to like... They don't have to. Right. But they're more likely to buy. In fact, the research shows that... The the loyalty <laughs> well, factor is inconclusive. <laughs> the loyalty factor is of of customers is more about their impression or liking of their salesperson than it is about the product. I've stumped you with my genius. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I agree. I'm not on hundred percent against that idea. Okay, but I'm eighty five percent against it. I do believe that that person B is going to like person A better if they think person A likes them. Right. But so you, think, you won't make the, I think you won't make the jump to even though I've shared with you that the research shows that we're more likely to purchase from someone we like. Yeah. You you're not willing to make that. And I understand, John, because you, you, you haven't been able to use likability in your salesmanship. Maybe. I don't know. I just think <laughs> if the deal makes sense, the deal makes sense. Right. Who's but, giving you the deal shouldn't be a, a factor in whether it's a good deal or not. Well, it shouldn't, but it is. <laughs> so, but, so, okay, so, so let's you, say so somebody you, you, I really like is going to sell me a pin for a dollar. Right. You've got a better pin. And you're charging a dollar, but I don't like you. Well, uh, but so, yeah, I mean, I, I think you, you are flawed in your example. Okay. Because you're assuming that the person, that it's not a, a even comparison. Yeah. Right? So if, and if I'm working with somebody who I like, then I'm more likely to continue to work with them than somebody who I dislike, who I just want to get away from. Okay. okay. Right? Uh, Give me the information. I'm, I'm, I don't want to sit out here and hang out with you because I don't really care for you a whole lot. <laughs> but I'll take your information. Yeah. Yeah. And if your information obviously is a much better deal. I, I think I would rephrase that. And maybe your, your data is true. But I think I would say it in a different way. I would say people are more likely to buy from people who like them. 
Like if a customer walks in off the street and I and he gets the feeling that his salesperson likes him, right? Then I think he's more likely to buy because he's like, you know, hey, that guy likes me, right? You know, right? All right, but it, so I. Think, but it could be because I think, that makes that customer in turn like the person who likes them, right? And I think that's just one method, yeah. of gaining that that. Uh, camaraderie or friendly nature or likability, whatever you want to call it, between salesman and client, mm-hmm. it, one way to do that is to let them know something about them that you really like. Man, I really I really appreciate your tie. Yeah, or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some aspect of them that you can express, and it needs to be genuine is one of the points that, uh, that David Hoffel makes is if I have a genuine appreciation for something about that customer, if I share that with them, because if it's disingenuous, it's more likely to turn them off, mm-hmm. you know, to feel salesy than if it's something that I can genuinely. And, and I think, you know, that's a Dale Carnegie principle. Is there something you can find in everyone you meet that you admire or right. about them or, uh, you know, that, that you like about them, yeah. whether it be their attire, their demeanor, their whatever. Absolutely. That there's some, even somebody that you don't really want to be around, you could find something nice to say about them if you had to. Sure. Well, say that. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Why not? And and I don't think it's it's the only way to... I really appreciate, uh, sir, the way that you don't uh, put on airs about your personal hygiene. <laughs> <laughs> that you're willing to just go out of the house... <laughs> Deodorant, you know. comb, toothbrush, they don't mean anything to you. Yeah. You Very did. rustic of me. <laughs> and I appreciate that. <laughs> Man, I'd be that way right now if I, you know, could get away with uh, it around I'll here. I'll tell you what, I've got a meeting coming up, but why don't you go on the test run by yourself? <laughs> Give me some privacy there. So that is just one method. And and we talk about it, right? I mean, it's, it's uh, the meet and greet. It's, you know, building rapport. It's, you know... Gaining the trust factor. I think we're more likely to trust people that we like than we are those we don't like. We're going to find a reason not to like them. I mean, one of the things that he talks about is, you know, in in part of the research is two politicians could say the exact same statement, right? And somebody who follows or is, you know, in line with one of those two politicians can hear it from the politician that they're in agreement with Mm -hmm. and say, oh, I agree with that point and hear it from the opposing side and say, absolutely not. I disagree with that. And it's the exact same statement. Well, I don't think you could find any examples of that in our current climate (laughs) right? (laughs) at all. It would be a stretch. It'd be very difficult to do. But, you know, if somebody put a lot of time and effort into it, they might be able to find that. Well, Ray, I want to thank everyone for joining us. I got one more. <laughs> well, it's time to get out of here. We have a little issue with the likability thing going on here, right? Is that what's going on? No, I'm loving it. I'm like McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, I'm loving it. <laughs> Please continue. So the last one, and not the last one of all heuristics, but mm-hmm. the last one that I've written down to discuss yeah. is social proof. Okay. You did mention this pre-show. I did. pre-show discussion. I did. In our, uh, what do they call that? Pre-show discussion? Yeah. They call That's what they call it. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> 
right. Our uh, spitballing session, our brainstorming session. Yeah. Our, we were preparing for this live event. Yeah, or some people would call it pre-show discussion. Yeah. Okay. So we, right. you brought that up, but I still don't know what it means. Social proof. So uh, uh, just a common example is you're in a new town and you're deciding where you're going to eat and there's two diners on either side of the street okay. and one is packed full of people and the other one is completely empty. Which one are you more likely to go to, John? Yeah, the busy one. Why? It's, it's got social proof, right? right? <laughs> exactly. That's social proof. <laughs> if, if a lot of other people have found value in something and it's what we've referred to the, the feel felt found. Yeah. Right? I understand how you feel. I know other people who felt the same way, i.e. social proof. Therefore, you know, and here's what they found to be the case. It's that we want to we want to follow what what the rest of society finds value in. Yeah, I think it gets back to a uh, an unnecessary desire to be average or to be normal. To you be know, normal. Yeah. That, I don't know average. I think average has a negative connotation. Well, what in is this the definition instance. of average? It's normal. Right. I understand that. But okay. I'm saying in this instance, yeah. I think, you know, if you said, hey, you have the, you seem like you have an innate desire to be average. <laughs> I don't think you're going to get a lot of, uh, a lot of agreement to that <laughs> statement. Well, I don't, I think people. But normal. Yeah. Yeah. I like feeling normal. Like I'm. But I think. It reminds me of a story. I don't know what book it was in, but uh, you know, hell, it could have been the guy out of Nashville, the money guy. Uh, Dave Ramsey. Is it Dave Ramsey? Yep. Okay. That's, I almost said that, but I didn't think it was right. Yep. Uh, talking about well, what's normal in America. Well, it's normal to be $200,000 in debt. Right. It's normal to have less than $2,000 in your bank account. Yep. You know, it's normal to have a two cars mortgage, uh, two cars financed and your house financed. Right? Yeah. Well, that's what, you know, the average is in America. <laughs> he says, I don't want to be normal. Right. I want to be the weirdo. You know, when people say, hey, you're worth $2 million and you're driving a 10-year-old car, that's weird. He's like, I take it as a compliment because, right. you know, because being smart apparently is weird now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Anyway. But I think it's funny that, it, yeah, it's uh, people want to belong to a group. Absolutely. Yeah? Absolutely. They want to feel like the, the rest of society would see their decision as a good decision. Right. As a, sound a decision one. that they would make themselves. Right. Yeah. And, and the research there, they, they did a study where they would show uh, up on a screen with a whole group of people. Uh, one, they'd show a line and then they'd have of a certain length and then they would have three other lines and they would have the group decide and they would actually make their statement out loud, choose the line that they felt like was the closest in size to the first line right. of the three. Mm -hmm. And... 99% of the people in the group were in on it, right? Oh. So it was really oh. only a handful of people in this large group that were the test subjects, if you will. Yeah. Right? So, and at first, they would have them go around the room, right? Which line is the closest? And they picked the line that was the closest, and they all agreed, including the test subjects. And then as they continued the exercise, they'd have the majority of the population pick a line that was 
obviously not the right one. Right. And then it would come down to the test subjects determination and they found that 60% of the time they would agree with the group and then when they debrief them at the end they would discuss their dilemma right their internal battle knowing that's not the right one but do I want to be the sole person to say no no it's it's not that you know when they've had all these other people one after the other say it's B, it's B, it's B, and they know they're looking and they're like no, it's A, it's obviously A, and well, what am I missing? And when it came to them, yeah, sixty percent of the time, and even the ones that chose the right one talked about they were in a, a small panic over God, am I am I gonna stand up and say no, I disagree with all of you to say it's actually A. And yeah, that that was proof of social proof. Can you imagine that having roots, kind of evolutionary origins? Right. I just saw a video the other day where uh, somebody gave their dog a chicken leg and then put another chicken leg down right beside him and had a little stuffed dinosaur come over. We walked it over, picked up the chicken leg, put it back down and then fell over. Just, you know, laid the dinosaur over. Right. The dog had the chicken leg in his mouth and immediately dropped it. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently these chicken legs, right. they ain't so good for you. It's out there. It's funny. But, yeah, I can see that, um, you know, that would be one way that maybe it's unsafe because the people who come before you, you know, have done all the testing and this is just the right way to do it. Yeah. But I can also see another angle, you know, just in our society now is you just don't want to be an outcast, right? right. You'll right. go along to get along, so oh, to yeah. speak. Yeah. I think that's uh, true. And, and yeah, I mean, you see it on social media all the time, right? I mean, you, you, you know, something, somebody posts something and, you know, depending on the comments, how, how likely are, are others to, to disagree? You, you know, I mean, we, we want to be part of a group and, and that is certainly something in the sales process that we can use to, you know, I mean, it's like well, not okay. saying our, our most economical or our base model, and we call it our yeah. most popular model. Typically what people choose. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So What most people do. Yeah. yeah. Well, are you familiar with Rick Barry? Yes. I wouldn't expect you to know that name, but you do? I do. The basketball player. Yep. Wow. Well, tell me about him. <laughs> uh, Rick Barry? Yeah. He's a basketball player. Uh, does he have any unique characteristics, right? <laughs> uh, well, you brought him up. What, what, what about him did you, well, you want to share, John? Not to be confused with um, uh, the Barry who does the cartoons. Okay. What was his name? Uh, so he's, out of, he's out of Florida. Yeah. Something Barry. Yeah. Anyway, Rick Barry is an NBA player. I don't know when he played, but he was famous for doing the underhanded granny shot sure. on free throws. Yeah, well, the underhanded Rick Barry shot. There you go. No, so, well. So I heard, saw this thing this morning, this little, I don't know, snippet of information. I guess you would call it a factoid, Ray. Okay. That like LeBron James shoots like 72% yeah. overhand. Michael Jordan shoots like 78%. Overhand free throw, free throw shot. Yeah. I think the NBA average is like eighty percent for free throws. This guy Rick Barry, ninety percent 
Doing the underhand. Underhanded granny shot. And somebody was saying, you know, hey, he went out there. You know, you know he got ridiculed in middle school. Right. You know he got ridiculed in high school and college. And now he's in the pros. Still still doing his underhand, but he's hitting him at 90%. 90%. And it just, you know, was a kind of a, you know, this is what it means to be weird. Yeah. If you're weird, but you're performing, then who gives a damn if you're weird? Yeah. You know? Anyway. All right. Kind of a side point to your, you know, yes, we can use this in our sales process to, uh, you know, now that we know these things, we can incorporate these truths into our sales process. Okay. Like we said, you know, this is typically the choice people make. Right. Most of my customers have chosen this. Right. But, hey, there's nothing wrong with you as an individual being weird. Right. <laughs> and that's how you say it to we're, your customers. We're... <laughs> Wearing your well, Night Rider hey, t-shirt. Hey, weirdo. <laughs> you should be proud of the fact you're weird, you freak. Put a post on uh, Facebook the other day. Uh, I said, I just here's one of those things I don't get. It's people talking to their pets and calling them hymns. Oh, is hymns thirsty? Hymns look so cute. I today. saw that post from you, and I don't know that I know anybody who... Uses well, hymns. I saw a mutual friend, a video of a mutual friend doing that is what sparked the comment. Oh. And I was like, man, I, did, I cringe every time I see that. Right. I said, you know what I said, Ray? What? Hymns belong in church, you weirdo. <laughs> I don't think you're gaining likability factor <laughs> from that person. Well, you can still buy from me because my deals make sense. <laughs> I'd like to thank everyone for joining us today. So do it. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Yes, we appreciate you listening, and we hope you'll listen again. to learn more about John and Ray, visit our website, SaturdayMorningSalesMeeting.com, where you can also listen to additional episodes or read articles we've written. Or email us directly, info at SaturdayMorningSalesMeeting.com. We'd love to hear show ideas, comments, feedback. What about dealers and sales managers, Ray? If you're a dealer or manager who would like more information on our sales training, BDC training, new hire training, or process evaluation and improvement, simply email us, info at SaturdayMorningSalesMeeting.com. And don't forget about the total dealership assessment, Ray. That's where we come in, evaluate the sales process, look at the lead flow. I mean, if you've got leads that you're not handling properly, we can help. And we can help both on the variable and fixed operation sides of the dealership. Right, and these are immediate action items that you can put in place tomorrow to sell more cars or write more ROs. Right, simply email us, info at SaturdayMorningSalesMeeting.com. That's info at SaturdayMorningSalesMeeting.com.